morning, everyone. Thanks for the nice introduction, Aaron. I'm sure he probably told you how incredibly good-looking I am, how funny I am, how brilliant I am. In fact, he asked me to bring some of my books to share. I'll be selling them afterwards. It's called Perfect Humility and How I Achieved It. Um, it's full of all my stories of my humility. I could go into it, but that wouldn't be humble. Um, so I am, uh, I am really thankful to be here. I've kind of been like your silent, unknown pastor for a couple of years. Um, and I'm excited to share today. In my, I've, I've planted four churches, uh, and I do some coaching and training of church planters. Um, and I got a lot of things cooking. I run a business as well. Uh, and in my world, a lot of times when you're coaching and stuff, and when someone like Aaron comes and, and wants some coaching, uh, they want to know, what should I do and how should I do it? And that's, that's pretty common in the church world when church leaders are trying to, to build and grow a church. And, and there are two great questions. How do I do this stuff? And, what do I do? But there's three really important questions that you really got to dial in and understand before you start asking the what should I do and, and how should I do it. So uh, not, not long ago, I was reading through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you might be familiar with that. And it's commonly known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. It starts out with this great definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then, and then it goes on, and we learn about the lives of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel and many others and and the author of Hebrews, which we don't know for sure. My suspicion is that it is the Apostle Paul, um, but we don't know that for sure. Um, but essentially what he does is he walks us through in that chapter the entire Bible, all the main characters from from beginning to end. And so as I, I was reading that, you know, there's three really good questions that can be answered uh, in that chapter and in the lives of all the people that he lays out in there. And they're just ordinary, regular people. We look into the Bible and we read and we think, man, these guys are like super Christians and super spiritual. Um, but this, this was a group, it's a, the Bible from beginning to end is a collection of stories about people who continually fell short, made really silly mistakes, uh, really stupid mistakes, and and we get to see that. And I'll tell you this, I'm sure glad that there's not a book. If I actually did write a book like that goofy one I told you about in the beginning, if I actually did, I can tell you this, I sure wouldn't put all my worst moments in it. That's one reason why I know this thing comes from God, because who does that? Let me tell you all of my dumbest mistakes. Um, but even though all the circumstances of their lives are different, they lived at different times in different places, there's one thing 
that is common. And, and in these stories and in the Bible from beginning to end, there's three common threads. So uh, I, I started a few years ago a new church planning network called the Cultivate, Cultivate Network. And, and it was through that work. That's how Aaron and I got connected. Um, but I realized that, you know, there's, there's, as I said, all these things. How do I do this? What should I do? But the three most important questions, it starts number one with who is God? Who is this God that we have gathered here together to honor, to esteem, to worship? Uh, what has he done? And out of those two things, then we learn, who are we? Who are we? I love, I meet a lot of people. I'm in the business world. I'm in the ministry world. So uh, you meet someone new, and this is particularly true with men. Uh, when you meet someone new, um, within a few minutes, you'll get this question. So what do you do? And then guy will tell you, well, I do this, or you know, I'm a contractor, or I'm a banker, or I'm this and that. And men, just because of the way we are, what we do is we automatically position ourselves against each other, right? Like somehow that's our value and our status in life, what we do. Um, but as I was starting to learn and think more about these questions, I thought, I'm going to do something interesting. Uh, when I meet people, I'm going to stop asking them what they do, and I'm going to ask them this question. So, who are you? And when I ask that question, people kind of stop and they look at me like, oh, this question's simple enough, but no one really ever asked me that before. Because before we start thinking about what we do and how we do it, all that flows out of who we are. Uh, and every man, woman, and child on this planet is made in the image of God. So before we can understand truly who we are, we got to understand who our Creator is and what He has done, what He is doing, and then our lives start to make sense. Um, so I want to illustrate that uh, with a couple of pictures here. Um, you want to go ahead and bring that picture up? So some of you may be familiar with this. This is, this is a pretty common story. If you know this story, don't steal my thunder. Um, so what we see here is that a fox compliments a crow. A fox says, my, you have a lovely singing, singing voice. Will you sing me a song? And so if that's the information you have, can you answer this question? What is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this event? What do you think? What's going on there? What's that? He would sing it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's trying to get the, the crow to sing the song. Go ahead and hit that next picture for me. So you ask the question, what is happening? But you notice the picture is different. So can you tell me what's happening there? Fox just wanted the food. That is absolutely right. Uh, it, but before I give you more information, you need to understand it's not, we can pick that up, but it's not possible to know the full meaning of this story because we don't have all the information. If we, if we had some more information about the motivations of the fox, of the context in which the crow and the fox lives in, this story would make sense. That's why it's important to understand the whole story here. Uh, I love when we put these Bible verses on little plaques in the house. I've got Proverbs 16.3 on a plaque in my office to uh, keep my business straight and keep my motivation straight. But if we don't understand the bigger picture, a little snippet doesn't make a lot of sense. 
And so one of the things that, that I need to communicate to you today is that this is a comprehensive plan, a comprehensive story. There's, there's threads and things that are weaved all the way from Genesis to Revelation as God has interacted with people in this world to communicate who He is, to show what He has done, and to help us to understand who we are so that in turn we will know what is it that we need to be giving our lives to. So a little more context for the story is that the crow sits perched high in a tree with a piece of meat. There's a famine in the forest and and all the animals are struggling to find food. So they all use different strategies and attempt to get this meat. The crow is the only one who's got, got food. So all these different animals are coming to this crow to try to get that meat, try to convince him to share that meat. So what the fox does is the fox compliments the crow. Wow, you are an amazing singer. You are just fantastic. I would just be so blessed if you would sing me a song. That would be fantastic. Well, of course, what we see then is is the crow is is taken in by the flattery and and uh, starts to sing, drops the piece of meat, and that clever little fox gets his food right away. That clever little fox really didn't care about the singing ability of that bird. Um, so now you have the context. You can understand the point of the story is that we should not be deceived by flattery. But had you not had all those details, that would not have made sense to you. So in the rest of the time that I have here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through an effort to help us have a greater understanding of the overall context of the Bible, the overall context of the world we live in. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt at a very low level to answer three questions. And I say low level because these are three questions that uh, you can spend a lifetime pursuing the answers to and always increase in your wisdom and understanding of them. So the questions are simply, who is God? What has he done? And who are we? Um, so the first question is, who is God? We're going to begin to answer this by discovering the missionary nature of God. And, and this begins to answer, who is God? Um, like I said, you, you often hear people ask this question, what do you do? And it's, and it's easy to see what someone does. Um, wh- whether it's, uh, like I said, contractor, dental hygienist, any of the number of jobs we do. But does that really tell me who you are, if I know what kind of work that you do? Um, in my world, uh, I live in kind of two worlds, ministry world and business world, and, and I'm an executive in my company, so I've got all kinds of blue-collar people working for me, and they view me as this white-collar guy, and, and so they don't know me, and they think, uh, man, this guy doesn't really know what goes on on this level. What they don't know is I, I come from four generations of plumbers, and I grew up going on jobs with my grandfather, Part of the part of the way I put myself through school was being a roofer, and so I'm my my roots are blue collar. Even though these guys I work with have no idea, so when I start, I'll occasionally just throw on jeans and a t-shirt, and I say, "Today I'm going on the job with you," and uh, and then I make sure I show them what hard work means, that I know what it means, and by the way, you better keep up. Um, but they don't know who I am, so they, they misjudge. And, and we do the same thing with God. When we don't understand who he is, it's hard for us to have a proper view of him. And so the way that I want to start to 
um, communicate this to you is, is to point to a verse in John chapter 20, verse 21. And it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Get this. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so at this point, what I want us to cue in on is that, is that word send. All throughout the Bible, God has sent people on a mission. And so the big idea there is that mission is not primarily an activity of the church. Mission is primarily an attribute of God. It's a characteristic of who he is. So we look at it, and it's not, it's not merely something that he does. It flows out of who he is. And we're made in his image. You and I, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're made in the very image of God, which that in itself is a really awesome thing. If you've never stopped and complimented, it's pretty heavy uh, that we are made in the image of God. So that's why Jesus will say, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. The fact that Jesus came in the first place reveals that God is a missionary God. He sent Jesus. So let me just uh, give you a fast overview of God sending activity in the Bible. In Genesis, God sends Abraham to a land that he will show him. This is the promised land. In Exodus, God sends Moses to set the captives free. Joshua is sent by God to conquer the promised land. Samuel is sent by God as a judge to guide God's people in the land. God sends prophets such as Nathaniel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, uh, and, and Jonah, and Micah, and so on and so forth, sending, sending to God's people to bring a message. God sends John the baptizer to pray, prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus was sent by the Father to preach the gospel of the kingdom and so that there would be a gospel to preach. Mark 1.15, Jesus says, this is a summary of all of his preaching. He comes on the scene and he starts to engage his ministry and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, therefore, and believe in the gospel. The Apostle John highlights this theme, this theme of mission in his gospel and sentness is a thread that runs all the way through it. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent the disciples. The disciples made more disciples. Who made more disciples? 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 And one of those disciples encountered each and every one of you at some point. And Lord willing, has made a disciple out of you. And now you and I are in the storyline of making disciples so that the generations that come after us can experience the same blessing and salvation that the generations before us have experienced. These people were faithful generation after generation to live sent lives that were marked by multiplying disciples. The missionary nature of God led to the missionary nature of the church, which embodied the missionary nature of Jesus' disciples, of which we are numbered. So here's a phrase I want you to get stuck into your head, because I, my background, I, I planted four churches with a group called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And we always used to say in that group, mission is our middle name. And we had mission committees, we had mission conferences. Uh, that organization started primarily as sending missionaries overseas in the late 1800s. Dynamite organization. But 
what had happened in a lot of the churches there is we relegated mission to a committee. We relegated mission to a program of the church. So here's the phrase that I want you to, to burrow in your heart and your mind. God's church does not have a mission. Riverwood really does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. And the question we need to ask is, does God have Riverwood? Is Riverwood giving themselves? And when I say Riverwood, I don't mean Aaron. I've been coaching him for two years. I know, I know him. But we are Riverwood, right? All of us, we are Riverwood. Does God's mission have you? Because it's who he is. And he will never stop till every man, woman, and child throughout the, uh, the appointed time before Christ's return has an opportunity to hear the good news that Christ died for our sins to receive that gracious gift of salvation and come into a, a loving and powerful relationship with him. God will never stop pursuing people in this world who don't know him, and he's called us to join him in that. That is what he's doing. When Jesus uh, called people, he said, hey, we're going to have a little down at in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee there, we're going to have a little band down there, we're going to have a little potluck afterwards, and I'm going to preach this message, and I want you to come forward afterwards. Jesus didn't do that, and I'm not bashing that stuff. It's good. I've done that stuff myself uh, because I think there is some power in drawing people that way. But what Jesus always said is, follow me. Follow me. Um, what that indicates is that he's going somewhere. He's doing something. So you got to ask yourself, you know, I know we're, we're here, and that's great. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. But it's got to be more than than showing up on Sunday. Jesus said, follow me. He's doggedly pursuing people who are far from God. He cares so much about it, he gave his very life for it. He sweat blood. It was such a horrible thing that he was facing, and he rose from the dead, and he, and he gained that victory, and now he says, I'm giving you my spirit. Let's go get him. Let's go get every man, woman, and child who doesn't know me, because life only truly works when you're in communion with your creator. So you see this uh, John 3:34, um, John wrote, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. So understanding that we are sent by God, that should embody our lives. For the one, me, you, whom God has sent speaks the words of God. And I love this phrase, God gives the Spirit without limit. Anyone want more of the Holy Spirit? Or am I the only one? Man, I want it. I want more, and I say, Jesus, give me more right this very second, each and every one of us. John 4.34, Jesus, the woman at the well story, some of you might be familiar with that. Um, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish my work. Do you know that each and every one of you has been uniquely created by God to to take a piece of the overall mission and do his work, there's parts of it, man, I could not do what you do up here, bro. I mean, I told these guys in the back, make sure my mic is not turned on during the singing because that would be a painful experience. I would love it. I don't care. <laughs> I, don't, I have a character flaw. I'll just confess before you. I lack the ability to, um, to be embarrassed. So I would sing up here, and uh, I pull that out with my daughter once in a while. We're in public, and I make up little love songs for her. And she's, 
I can't believe I'm related to you. <laughs> she says, she said it at your house last night. I'm related to you? Like questioning it. Um, but here's, here's something I discovered recently that's really cool. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, uh, in verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you can wake up with this confidence every morning. God's got work for me to do today. Not because of how great I am, but because of how great he is and he lives in me and wants to work through me. And so if you geek out on the grammar and the, and the Greek language a little bit, which most people don't, but I feel like I have to because I spent four years in seminary and spent tens of thousands of dollars, so I, I got to justify it. So I study the Greek. Actually, I do really like it. It's kind of fun. But the Greek word for workmanship is the Greek word poema. Poema. Does that sound like any word you guys know? Poema. Does that sound like any English word? Poem. It is the word poem. So what that means is, and I'm going to get a little bit flowery, this isn't manly, but it's beautiful, that each and every one of us is God's unique poem. Not one of us the same. You know, that's why it's so silly. Don't ever, you guys, especially you young guys, don't ever compare yourself to anybody else. You're not supposed to be like anyone else. You're supposed to be exactly what God's made you. So we deal with this in, in our world a lot. Well, so-and-so's got this great big church, and they're doing... Well, that's great for them. I'm not supposed to be them. I'm God's poem, and I'm supposed to let my, the artistry that he's put in me, I've got to put on display. And it's the same with you guys, every one of you. And, it, and it's only beautiful if it's expressed and displayed. Um, I got to burp or something, because it's just not manly or something. I got to do something masculine, because I know that's flowery and, and whatnot, but it truly is beautiful, and it gives a real depth and meaning and purpose to your life. So I could go through literally dozens of more verses in there, uh, but, but what we need to understand, who is God? God is a missionary God. Jesus is the ultimate expression of the image of God in humanity. We are made in his image. Mission is not something we do. It's not a statement. It's a living out of the very character of God in and through us. Jesus said, follow me, because I came to seek and save that which is lost. Luke 19.10, he said that. And so when we follow him, we do the things that he does. We say the things that he says. Mission is a key component of what it means to be human. If we are not actively engaged in mission and intentionally living out Jesus' mandate, then we are failing to live what it truly means, what God intended when he created us, to truly live out a human life. So the second question is the story of the world. What has God done? And so this book is really the story of the world. We've got history in here, okay? And, and we've got future in here. So the, the, the entirety of the world is, is in here. Now you get into the future and it gets a little weird in some places. This ap- apocalyptic stuff and dragon heads and wheel within a wheel and all this kind of stuff. Um, but we know we know what the final outcome is, and we know we can look and see, here's what God has done throughout history. And so when we see that, um, we can count on what he's going to continue to do. Let me ask you a question. What is your favorite storybook? You guys, what's your favorite storybook? Do you like Diary of a Wimpy Kid? My son's reading all kinds of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. 
By the way, if you want to see a hilarious movie, Roderick Rules. Hilarious. Hilarious. My favorite storybook is Lord of the Rings. Anybody else Lord of the Rings fan in here? There, it's a dynamite story. It's filled with action and adventure. It has strange characters. And yet we can relate to those people in some way. Um, like, the, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but there's this scene where they're running. And uh, Legolas is an elf, and he's just very graceful. One time I was running. When I first met my wife, we went out running. And she's running like this graceful little doe. And then I'm like Gimli. You know, if you've seen the movie, Gimli is a dwarf. And, man, he's just struggling around. He says, I'm very dangerous over short distances. But the Lord of Rings is a comprehensive story from beginning to end as is the Bible, but most people do not view the Bible of it. Most people view, view the Bible as this random collection of stories. Uh, but but it, it is a beginning to end. It's a divine drama. It's one grand story of the world. Um, I've put this up here just so there's obviously a lot more details, but this is the entire Bible right here. God establishes his kingdom. This is creation. Rebellion comes into the kingdom. That's the fall. Sin and death entered the world there. God chooses Israel. This is where redemption is initiated, but God didn't choose Israel when the country was formed. God chose Israel when it was one person, Abraham. Go to a place that I will show you. I'm going to make you a blessing to all. Um, and then there's this intermission. You get to the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, there's this 400-year gap in history between those. Uh, and there's some pretty cool stuff in there, but God was setting the stage for what was to come. Then we have the coming of the king. That's where redemption was accomplished. Uh, spreading the good news. This is the mission of the church, and we await the return of the king when everything will be complete. I can't wait for that day. Um, you know, even the fact that I would make this dumb joke about this humility book, one of the things that we all suffer from is pride. And that's because at the core of who each and every one of us is, we're damaged goods. Uh, and I think we should learn to give each other a little bit more slack um, because we are damaged goods and let's be gracious to each other. I'll cut you some slack, you cut me some slack, and we'll, we'll work through stuff together. But on that day when Jesus returns, holy smokes, that's going to be great. Will you go to the next slide for me? So what I drew this out, I probably shouldn't have put that in red up there. I'm sorry, I know it's hard to see. But this is kind of like a timeline. And so I, I did this so you can kind of see the purpose of, of the church. So we've got creation way at the beginning and then the fall and sin enters the world and then God initiates his plan to rescue mankind. This arrow down is when Jesus came to, that's Christmas right there, right? That's God became a, a human being. God, check this out. God looked at the mess that this world is, and he looked down and he says, I've made all these promises, I'm going to fill it, i got to do something, what am I going to do? I got it, I'm going to send a cute little baby into the world. Who does that? God does that. Jesus comes, he lives, he enters into his ministry, he dies on the cross, rises from the grave, and ascends into heaven, and, and right before he ascends to heaven, he says, hey, I'm coming back. Remember everything I told you to do? Go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And there's a time in the future come. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you. We're going to, we're going to completely fix this thing. We're going to wipe out the entire mess. And I'm going to bring heaven right down to earth here. But until that time, 
You've got to fulfill this mission that I've given you. You've got to live out who I am in and through yourselves. And by the way, to, to be able to do that, you, you can't do that by yourself, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. So there's two primary reasons why gave, God gave his spirit. Number one is so that God could breathe his life into you. And number two is so that you would be empowered to fulfill his mission. There's all kinds of segments of the church that get all goofy about, well, look at my spiritual gift. Look at me because God gave me this gift and, and let me pa- pass three offering plates because I got this gift and then I'm going to drive out of here in my Bentley and get into my private jet. God will deal with those guys. He didn't give us gifts to do that kind of garbage. He gave us gifts for the benefit of other people. I have some teaching gifts. They're not for me. They're for you and anyone else who will listen. You have gifts. They're not for you. Now, I I feel good when I'm exercising my gift, but it's for the benefit of others. So what happens is, is God inaugurated the kingdom of God. It's an invasion. What Satan stole back in the garden, God is taking back. And so there's, there's some conflict in number five there where there's a mission of the church. You've got an invasion of the kingdom of God, but the Bible calls the God of this world, the devil is the God of this world. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that, that the God of this world has blinded the minds and the eyes of people who don't know God so that they can't understand the goodness and the glory of God. But God has given you the message of light that that brings sight to the blind. So there's this hotly contested battle going on in the spiritual realm. And do you know what the battleground is? What do you think the battleground is? It's your heart. It's my heart. It's the hearts and the souls of God, the, the crown jewel of God's creation, human beings. But there's a time where Jesus is going to come back and the devil's going to be done. Boom. He's going to be taken care of. Lake of fire. I'm, I'm a little off kilter. Okay, you guys, if you haven't figured that out by now, it's a little weird, but I've got this prayer because I don't like the work of the devil. When I say I don't like it, I hate it. And I'd like to punch him in the face. So I got this really weird prayer. I said, God, right before you throw him in the lake in the lake of fire, can I just take a couple shots at him? God, you just hold his hands behind his back, and I'm going to hit him a few times, and then you toss him in. Uh, because he, he is a killer. He is a liar. He wants to destroy you. But, man, you know want to know a good reason to memorize Bible verses? Say this one with me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So bring it, buddy, because you're going down. But this just kind of gives you a picture of what God has done and what he will do. So who is God? God is a missionary God. What has he done? He's created. He's rescuing and redeeming. He's got a mission and a plan for the church. We've got to ask, Jesus, do you have me? Do you have Riverwood? Remember, we are Riverwood. It's Aaron's not Riverwood. Aaron's, if, if it's just Aaron... It's just a guy with, with a dream alone in a room. Aaron is not Riverwood. We are, you got to say it with me, everybody. We are Riverwood. Come on, that would, you can do better. I'm not going to stop till you say it nice and loud with me. Say it. We are Riverwood. All right. So the way that we understand human life depends on the, our conception of the human story. 
what is the real story of which my life is a part. The company that I lead, uh, we grew 87% last year. We went from 1.9 million to 3.7 million in sales. This year, we're going to hit about 6.5. Um, pretty great. Cool. The owner of our company is going to have a lot of dough. Who cares, right? Um, but the owner of our company is a very passionate Christian man who's committed a significant portion of our profits to church planting because he knows the story in which he lives in. He knows that, that his purpose for being in business is not seeing how many homes or cars or dollars he can collect, but how can he use what God's given him to make an impact in the world. God's mission is, to res- God's mission is a rescue mission that seeks to reconcile and restore our relationship with our Creator. The third question, I'm going to be brief here because I'm, I'm guessing my time is almost up, but this is the mission of God's people. And it, and it answers the question, who are we? So let me ask you a question. I told you my favorite story is, is Lord of the Rings. It was written by a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, so the, here's the question. Uh, and one of the characters, one of the, one of the best characters in the book is a little guy named Frodo with hairy feet and pointy ears. Um, he is a hobbit. So here's the question. If J.R.R. Tolkien wanted to have a conversation with Frodo, what would he have to do? What would the author of the story have to do if he wanted to have a conversation with a character in the book? He'd have to become part of the story. The author would have to write himself into the story. Guess what God has done? God is the author of life. He wanted to interact with us. He, he wanted to have communion with us. That fellowship was broken in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. By the way, just in case you don't know, it was Adam's fault, not Eve's. It was Adam's fault. But that fellowship was broken because God used to walk with them in the cool of the day. Sin entered and the relationship was fractured. God wrote himself in as Jesus became one of us and did everything necessary for us to have a restored relationship with him. The gospel is the mission of God embodied in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I love this, this uh, little pregnant statement by Tim Keller about what the gospel is. He says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. Let me say that again for you. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, more than we ever would want to admit. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared to hope. No one could love us better or more than Jesus. Here's just a little snapshot. You know, who is God? We, we delved into that a little bit. He's a missionary God. The church doesn't have a mission. God has a mission. The question is, does God have his church? So what has he done? This is the overall storyline of the Bible. The way that God has worked in and through people to reach other people, to bring them, those who are far from God, back to him. So here's who we're supposed to be in light of that. We're made in his image. That's how you define your identity. You guys ever had any kind of identity crisis in your life? A lot of men have what they call a midlife crisis. 
Um, I just decided my life expectancy is 150, so I got about 30 more years before I hit my midlife crisis. Um, but when I was in high school, I was, I was a really good athlete, uh, and I was a good athlete, not because I was the most physically gifted, but because I'm stubborn, and I'm tenacious, and I worked harder than everybody else. Um, but I was known in high school as Steve Erickson the wrestler. Steve Erickson the wrestler. Steve Erickson the wrestler. My life kind of railroaded my senior year of high school, and I was no longer Steve Erickson the wrestler. And I went through about five years. Uh, I had some serious addiction problems in that time, and uh, I had a serious identity crisis. If I'm not Steve the wrestler, who am I? And it took me a long time to figure. It took me till I was 28 years old when I met Jesus. And he said, you're my child and you do my work. And that's the way I get up every day now. I'm, I'm a kid of the king and I'm his workmanship and he's got work for me to do. But maybe you have that question. Who am I? My wife was grew up very gifted, still very gifted piano player. But she played on teams and she traveled the country and she competed in competitions. She had a point in her life, well... Who am I? I'm not Ann the piano player anymore. Um, she still plays piano, but it was it was different, you know? And maybe you've had those things too. Our identity is rooted in our creator. We are made in his image. You are a child of God. Why is every man, woman, and child inherently valuable? Because they're made in God's image. God doesn't make junk. You are God's poem. We are people who know the story we're a part of. We are a people who care for creation. We are a people are a blessing to others. We are a people who walk in God's ways. We are a people who are redeemed for redemptive living. We are a people who have been rescued to be rescuers. We are a people who represent God in the world around us. We are a people who attract others to God. We are a people who know the one true God. We are a people who bear witness to the one true God. We are a people who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. We are a people who are, who are sent and who send others. We are a people who engage in the public square. We are a people who praise and pray. We are a people who have come together in this place today with the purpose of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ so that we can make an internal impact where we live, where we work, and where we play. That is the kind of people you and I are created to be. Are you living like that? Let's do something about that. Because if you're like me, I'm, I'm sure there are areas in which you are excelling and you're doing well. You are living like that. But like all of us, there's areas where we fall short and we can come together, encourage each other, empower each other. Uh, there, there's a lot more power in a group than there is in an individual. So I tell people at my office, I say, we got a lot of smart people here, but collectively we are a genius. And it's the same thing here. You, there's a lot of giftedness in this room. And individually you can make an impact, but together we'll turn this world upside down. To be called to know God is to be invited on the greatest adventure imaginable. It's more dangerous and significant than Frodo's trip to Mordor. It's full of, more, full of more surprises than Alice's visit to Wonderland and more fulfilling than the most satisfying love story you can think of. There will always be more to know and enjoy of Jesus. 
He is a missionary God. And his call to us today is, follow me. Will you follow him every day? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We just thank you for life. The breath in our lungs right now is a gift. God, I ask for each and every one of us that you would show us more and more the precious gift of life that we have. Lord, I pray that you would give us an awakening of what our gifts and our abilities are. The things that we're most passionate about and we're best at, we undervalue them because we think, man, it's so easy. But what's easy for me is not easy for someone else. And what's easy for them is not easy for me. And collectively, we are a genius. We are Riverwood. God, I pray that you would draw us together as a church who has given themselves to the mission of God to bring every man, woman, and child who's far from you close. Thank you for the privilege we have today and the collection of gifts we have being expressed here today. God, I pray that we would all know that uh, it's not because Jeff's amazing, and he is, but it's because you're amazing in and through him. It's not because Aaron's such a great leader, which he is, but it's because you're great in and through him. And each and every one of us can be amazing with you flowing in and through us. I pray that you would do that more and more today. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.